What's up, everybody? You're listening to Salah's Corner with the one and only Salah Muhammad. Well, if you aren't aware, unless you're hiding under a rock somewhere or just blindly uh, not paying attention to what's been happening, we are well underway in the 2020 presidential election. I know we haven't covered and talked about national politics in a while, but on this episode, I am going to give you my opinion on the debates that took place over two nights. Uh, There were 20 candidates in the MSNBC presidential debate, and it took place over two nights, four hours in total, and it was a lot of substance. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the highlights. Um, Unfortunately, we're not going to get into every specific highlight. We're not going to talk about every specific candidate. I'm going to narrow down on the key moments in this debate and the key people you guys should be paying attention to as we make our way through this democratic process and picking the next democratic nominee to be president of the United States. So I'm sure you guys seen it all over social media at this point. Um, the people who big political pundits felt like stole the night, the two nights uh, of the presidential debate of the Democratic presidential debate. But I think the one person that is getting the most shine right now is Kamala Harris, the senator from California. And even though she wasn't even on the first uh, debate night, uh, her performance in the second debate really stole the show. We're going to cover that all in a moment. But before I jump into that, let's recap night one. And night one featured 10 candidates, took two hours to complete. And it featured New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, former HUD Secretary under President Obama, Julian Castro, Democratic Senator Cory Booker uh, from Delaware, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, Washington State Governor Jay Inslee, and finally, certainly not least, former Maryland Congressman John Delaney. And just a point on uh, John Delaney, he's actually probably been the longest person running for president. He announced his candidacy back in 2017. That's right, 2017 for 2020. But that just shows you the energy that is going into the Democratic Party, um, the people who truly want to change the direction of where our country is going. So let's talk about that for a moment. And again, we will not have time to cover every specific candidate and every specific highlight, but let's bring you the most important parts. It was a crowded stage, 10 people trying to jockey for opinions and sharing their policy ideas and and proving that they can be the next candidate to not just beat Donald Trump, but also fix some problems that are systemic in our uh, in our country, uh, whether it was immigration, whether it is uh, the wealth gap, whether it is health care. We've seen recent assaults on the women's right to choose. Uh, that has been such a political topic over uh, this election campaign. Um, it was really important in the midterms in 2018. Um, And it's going to be important as we go through this presidential campaign. The one thing that I want to highlight, and this will be the theme throughout this uh, debate, and I think throughout the Democratic uh, process, there was such a difference between the debates on these two nights in comparison to the debates that took place in the 2016 election for the Republican Party. Now, they had a number of people running for president back then. Um, I can't remember exactly how many people I, it was, but it was, a, it was a 
huge number to the point where they also had to have two different debate nights. They did a terrible job of of highlighting the candidates on both nights, but it was filled with just stupid attacks. Uh, we heard comparisons on hand size in the Republican debate back in the 2016 election. We saw comparisons uh, on not just policy, but just small insults that really don't have a place in politics. Not when we're trying to talk about how people are going to improve their lives, not how we're going to improve communities, not how we're going to create access for uh, low-income families and disenfranchised communities, not when we have immigration crises and uh, different issues international. Childish remarks and comments um, just don't seem like the right place. That did not take place, not on night one or night two, within the Democratic presidential debates. And that's just such an important point to take away from all of this. The the differences between the two parties, where one took four hours and 20 candidates discussing policy issues, uh, disagreeing uh, adamantly with each other on those different policy ideas, on their records, but not dwindling down to insults and minor childish disputes like the Republican Party did. And I think that's just something to keep in mind as we we talk about this. But one of the biggest highlights of this debate was a photo that uh, surfaced just a few days prior. Um, And it it, it was such a sad moment and it was really heartbreaking. And it was a photo of Oscar Alberto Martinez Ramirez and his daughter Valeria. Uh, they were found dead crossing a river trying to make their way into the country. And it's such an important point to stop and talk about that, not just within a debate, but within a country. Um, a year ago, we were talking about these horrific Trump policies that were separating kids from their parents. We were advocating as a government for kidnapping and child abuse. Um, Children were being put into horrific conditions. Uh, We talked about that here on this podcast. Um, I talked about that in a blog post that I wrote at the time. Um, I even had a uh, community event surrounding uh, this specific topic and and engaging and and educating um, our community on how we can play a bigger part in our government to prevent things like this from happening. And a year later, it is happening to the point where people feel like they have to face crossing treacherous rivers to get to this country and abysmal conditions that they are leaving is one thing and that needs to be addressed but the fact that they are being forced to to cross rivers and they are being detained and you you see images of of children with full diapers and aluminum foil shoes that is horrific and it's something that Julian Castro really took that moment and chose to shine in that first uh, debate night. Watching that image of of Oscar and his daughter Valeria uh, is heartbreaking. It should also piss us all off. If I were president today, and it should spur us to action, if I were president today, I would sign an executive order that would get rid of Trump's zero tolerance policy, the remain in Mexico policy, and the metering policy. And then I would follow that up in my first 100 days with immigration reform that would honor asylum claims that would put undocumented immigrants, as long as they haven't committed a serious crime, on a pathway to citizenship, and that would go to the root cause of the issue, which is we need a Marshall Plan for Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador. 
so that people can find safety and opportunity at home instead of coming to the United States to seek it. A horrific moment, a horrific picture, a horrific tale that is taking place at the border and for these uh, migrant families trying to find safe haven in America and trying to find some type of better life that they could provide for their family, for themselves and a future. And Julian Castro really took that moment and projected his status onto this election. I can t probably tell you a lot of people did not know who Julian Castro was before this moment. Um, but he took this moment by the horns and he he shined brightly. He gave an impassioned speech, as you just heard, about the conditions. Um, you know, watching that moment, you, you were able to see not just that... Yes, this is a horrific moment, but you can feel the passion coming out of him and you can feel his intensity on figuring, trying to, to discuss ways on we can address some of these issues. And I think what took place after that is what really is going to help boost him as we go beyond this debate. Because it wasn't just that moment where he gave that uh, small speech. Uh, it was how he was successfully able to input his policy idea into the debate stage and he was able to get every single person on that stage arguing for or against his policy um, and let, let's talk about that for a minute because what he's basically saying is people that are coming here to seek refugee status regardless of how they come here um, they aren't looking to bomb America they aren't looking to be murderers but those individuals that are coming here uh, illegally they aren't illegal people they are coming here illegally um, they should not be treated as uh, severe criminals that are committing felonies they should be treated civilly and charged civilly uh, so that way they are getting to do justice uh, that they deserve and it will help expedite not just the process of how they come into this country but also the status of the government hanging over their heads as they try to weigh their way through multiple countries to get here and then navigating the, our judicial system once they are here. Uh, the idea and the premise of this argument really is, is these people are human. You know, these people are looking for our refuge, for their family, for their loved ones, for themselves. And to treat them as if they are terrorists, to treat them as if they are murderers or hardened criminals, it's just an insane stance when we talk about immigration. Um, and I think that is the point that should be taken from this moment. Uh, another highlight of night one was how many people could speak Spanish. I think it was, uh, it started with Beto. Um, he did this weird thing in the beginning where he started speaking Spanish and then flipped to English in one of his answers. And then obviously that went uh, next to Julian Castro. And then of course, Cory Booker could not be showed up. He had to pull out his uh, Spanish speaking chops uh, at some point throughout the debate. I thought that was uh, kind of weird and it'd be make a good drinking game for another future debate if all three of them um, end up on the same stage again uh, for the next presidential debate. But just a little funny anecdotal moment um, to take out of this debate. Necesitamos incluir cada persona en el éxito de esta economía. Pero si queremos hacer eso, Necesitamos incluir cada persona en nuestra democracia. Uh, cada, votar, ca cada votante necesitamos la representación y cada voz necesitamos escuchar. La, situa la situación ahora es inaceptable. Es de presidente ha atacado 
ha demandado los inmigrantes. Es inaceptable y voy a cambiar este. Oh, Congresista O'Rourke, ¿qué haría usted en el primer día, si usted es presidente, sobre esta realidad que está ocurriendo? What would you do, Congressman, day one at the White House? Vamos a tratar cada persona con el respeto y dignidad que merecen como humanos. Uh, me llamo Julián Castro y estoy postulando por presidente de los Estados Unidos. The one thing that was not mentioned a ton in this first debate was Trump. Now, I've gone back and forth over this, and I've heard a lot of political pundits speak on the fact that in night one, uh, people didn't compare and contrast themselves enough to Trump, his policies, and some of the racism and rhetoric that comes out of the White House since he's been there. Uh, but I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Being that this was an early debate, that it was important for the candidates to establish who they are for people who don't know who they are. And while Julian Castro mentioned Trump a few times, he didn't mention Trump a lot, but I think he successfully was able to tell the American people who he is. And the status he brings and the ideas he brings to the table. And I think going out of this debate, he's seen as a serious contender. So I don't necessarily believe that they had to compare and contrast themselves so much to Trump. I don't think it was a bad idea that if they did go there, but I don't think that counts against them, um, especially for those unknown candidates who struggle with getting uh, polling, who struggle with getting donations and funding towards their campaign to really show who they are and some of their stances. Now, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker uh, also held their own. I think Elizabeth Warren, with the number of policy ideas that she has already put out there for a number of people to read, um, I think she showed that she deserves to be a front runner in this campaign. I think Cory Booker also showed that he deserves to be a front runner. He's also seen a bit of a surge in polling and donations after the uh, that first night of debates. And I think between those three, you'll see them begin to really rise and separate themselves from the pack um, as the criteria for the debates start to change and we start to see it get harder for these Democratic nominees to make the debate. Now, there's a huge discussion on that point on whether the criteria is not strict enough and we really should start seeing some people drop out and that dwindle down. I think it's June and we have over a year to go for the, uh, the voting begins. You know, the earliest primary states really aren't taking place for a few months. I think we have some time to allow people to still make their case on why they should be the next nominee. However, after this next debate, which is uh, in July, I do believe that candidates should be dropping out after this next debate. If they can't prove that they can make the, the debate stage, I think it's time to go. And that's that was the sum of, of really night one. I think what was shown the most in night one was people really played it safe. I think Julian Castro had the breakout moment where he and Beto had a, a, an in, a intense exchange um, where I think he got the better of, of Beto O'Rourke. But overall, I think a lot of the candidates played it safe and tried to really just tell the story of who they are. And coming up, we are going to... Uh, recap night two, which I think as subdued as night one was, uh, you will hear my uh, opinions on night two coming up.
So I've had a lot of people coming to me asking me where I find the time and the space to make all of these podcasts happen. Well, I have to thank the folks at Rec Philly. They provide me the space, the equipment, and the networking capacity to make this take off. And it's not just for other podcasts. Other creative individuals use this space as well. We're talking musicians, photographers, anyone that considers themselves a creative individual. So if that's you, head over to Rec Philly. Visit them on Instagram. And if you find yourself wanting a membership, tell them Salah sent you. Okay, so night two, again, it took place in two hours. It also featured 10 candidates, um, including author Marianne Williamson, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, tech executive Andrew Yang, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Let's stop for a second. Seriously, y'all, Buttigieg, that is not hard. All those people that cannot say his name, including the political pundits on TV, seriously, get it together. It's Buttigieg, not difficult. Former Vice President uh, Joe Biden, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, California Senator Kamala Harris, New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Colorado Senator Michael Bennett, and California Congressman Eric Swalwell. Now, this debate is arguably the heavy hitters. Um, It featured a number of the top tier candidates, a number of people that are currently holding office, and the former Vice President of the United States. And it's important to note that night two was the most watched Democratic debate in presidential history. And I think that has a lot to do with the people who was running and the excitement that they are generating. Now, again, we've heard all and seen all of the memes and the talk uh, over this past uh, few days over one candidate in particular, uh, Kamala Harris. She had a number of moments that showed that she is not just a serious contender, but might be the only one that can actually take Trump on. Hey guys, you know what? America does not want to witness a food fight. They want to know how we're going to put food on their table. I wanted to highlight that moment right there. And while it was hilarious for me, because I have been saying for a while now, regardless on uh, policy, uh, when you talk about uh, people that can hold their own against Trump, um, there's only a few people that can really do that. Um, Elizabeth Warren is one, and she's shown that with her Twitter disputes and her takedown. Um, And Kamala Harris, she just has a way of showing that she's the adult in the room. And that moment showed it more than any. And that was just the first moment uh, within that debate that showed that, yes, Kamala Harris is here to be a front-runner for the Democratic nominee for president of the United States. And from there, it just continued. Now, I have to say, before I go into some of those other moments with uh, Kamala Harris, I have to put in this small moment from uh, Eric Swalwell, who I think is the uh, second youngest uh, candidate running within the Democratic Party for president of the United States, next to uh, Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. But uh, it was an important moment to show the compare and contrast what's taking place within a Democratic Party. The big debate is young versus old, left versus center. I was six years old when a presidential candidate came to the California Democratic Convention and said, it's time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans. That candidate was then Senator Joe Biden. 
Joe Biden was right when he said it was time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans 32 years ago. He's still right today. If we're going to solve the issues of automation, pass the torch. If we're going to solve the issues of climate chaos, pass the torch. If we're going to solve the issue of student loan debt, pass the torch. If we're going to end gun violence for families who are fearful of sending their kids to school, pass the torch. Vice President, would you like to sing a torch I song? Would. <laughs> I'm still holding on to that torch. I want to make it clear to you, look, the fact of the matter is what we have to do is make sure that everybody is prepared better to go on to educate for an education. The it was, uh, I, I think that was a, a, a funny moment. I certainly laughed at home. Joe Biden laughed as well at that moment. Um, he didn't have the best response, but uh, I, I think it was an, an endearing moment for, for both candidates, really. And I, and I say that because... Um, it shows that the Democratic Party can debate and disagree without demonizing each other. And again, I, I, I keep going back to that 2016 debate within the Republican Party. They weren't able to do that. They weren't able to coexist. And certainly they've been able to sense because um, the backbone within that party seems to be very flexible. But uh, the Democrats don't have to do that. Um, they respect each other. They are adults in the room. They can have an adult conversation about how they disagree without disrespecting each other. And I think that was so important to show uh, not just Joe Biden laughing, but to show the the uh, respect that they have towards each other um, as we go through this process of picking the, the next nominee. Now, before I get into who I think is going to be um, the, the, the leading frontrunner as we come out of these debates. I want to talk about one person, and it's not Joe Biden. Although I think some of his responses was weak, um, I think it showed that uh, he, I don't know if it was rusty or he just um, mischaracterized his uh, ability to uh, go up against some of these candidates, um, whether he thought they weren't going to challenge him on certain policies or where he thinks his, his stances on some of these policies or his track record, his previous track record and ability to defend them um, is just based on an old model within the Democratic Party. Um, it's, not, it's not that. That's my opinion on that. Um, I think Bernie Sanders is um, not getting as much attention or rather... His, um, his shine is just not as um, bright as it was in the 2016 election when he was up against Hillary Clinton. And I think part of that is because he was only running against Hillary Clinton. And while I think she should have won, I think she would have been a good president, she was severely disliked. And she was the only other person that was considered to be a serious contender. And I think... When you have someone that is severely disliked, when you have another possible viable option who are saying a few things that people like, he gets a lot of attention. But when you put him up against a plethora of other candidates who not only have similar ideas, um, but have a better connection that they are able to make with a, a number of different um, voters... He's not as bright as he was back in 2016. And I think that showed in some of these moments. Um, he, he came off as um, just kind of another candidate, not as a, 
as a huge front runner. I don't think he lost the debate, and I don't think he. Um, I, I think he has an opportunity to show that you know he can still you know captivate large audiences like he did in 2016. But I think he'll find that a lot harder to do with some of these other candidates in the race. Like like I said, that support a lot of the same ideas that he does, uh, specifically Tristan Gillibrand. You know, she was a big proponent for some of the policies that he's uh, putting out there. She wrote a lot of the legislation that's in some of his uh, bills that he put before the Senate. So I think that's... Um, I think that's that's something to be contested against when when it comes to him running against one candidate who was severely uh, unpopular in the 2016 election versus him running against 19 other candidates that made the debate stage that all have policies that are similar to uh, his um, in one form or another. So I think he's going to have to come with a different type of energy um, if he wants to get that shine back that he had in 2016. Now, for the moment, you guys have all been waiting on my opinion on Kamala Harris. Let's just play a few moments that um, made uh, her the talk of this past weekend after the debates. I do not believe, I do not believe that the average American is a racist, but the average American is woefully undereducated about the history of race in the United States. Ms. Williamson, thank you very much. Vice President Biden, I'm gonna, we're going to get to you. Hang on, we're going to get to you. I would like to speak on the issue of race. Let's take a moment to look at a, a shining moment where she was able to captivate everyone's attention and steal more time than she should have been allotted, to be fair. Um, but I don't think, given what she was saying, nobody was going to cut her off. And then there was this moment with former Vice President Joe Biden. I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. All I have to say about that moment was, holy shit. Like, I, I'm lost for words on how she was able to take that moment. And, uh, I mean, it's clear she prepared. It's clear that she researched his record. And she held that in her belt. Um, and was waiting for a moment like that, and God knows how much research she's done, and she's waiting to do that with a number of other candidates that's going to be on that stage. But taking a moment like that, you know, and uh, taking those comments that he mentioned about supporting those um, segregationist senators who he served alongside of, 
and saying she's not a, he's not a racist, not attacking him personally, not attacking his character, but attacking the policy ideas that he stood for and showing how it affected her personally and how it affected the African-American community. And I think what's the most important about that, you know, I've heard a lot of debate uh, over the last uh, few days afterwards about how busing wasn't popular back then and that was a really contentious issue and even black people didn't uh, support busing at the time. I think what's the most important thing about that is she showed that she could take him down. She showed again that she can wield all of the attention in the room. She showed that he wasn't ready for the response and she showed that yes, while it wasn't an an extremely popular stance within certain circles then people now feel like that was pretty messed up and that was a pretty messed up stance to take um and more importantly he wasn't prepared to defend it properly um i i think i i've seen some polling recently that showed that she's kind of catapulted herself to uh, within the, the top, uh, I think, two or three um, uh, in the polling position for president of the United States within the Democratic Party. Um, and that's a huge part of the way reason why. I think a lot of people gathered around Joe Biden early on in the race because he's popular. There's huge name recognition. He's affiliated with uh, former President Barack Obama. Um, so there is a certain type of popularity and a belief that he is he can beat Trump and he will support some ideas and policies similar to Obama and kind of continue some of those policies that Hillary Clinton wasn't able to do um, since she wasn't elected president. But I think what that moment showed was that Biden can be beaten and he's only popular in name recognition alone. And I think because it shows he can be taken one on one people are shopping for another candidate. And I think they are finding Kamala Harris comfortable. Um, That's going to be left to be seen. Again, this is really early in this process. But I think those early signs have huge indications on how not only will the rest of the debates go, but how these candidates will hold the attention of the public. Now, I want to address one more thing, and it's after the debates. Um, So not only was she able to show that little girl was her, her campaign was on it. Immediately after that moment took place, while the debates were still going, you saw all over social media uh, the picture of Kamala Harris as a young girl, a young schoolgirl, as if she was being bussed to those predominantly white schools. And it was such a powerful moment. Now, all of a sudden, she's receiving criticism because um, since then, there's T-shirts showing that same image. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. Anyone that says she is uh, using this genuine moment um, to promote herself and to promote her campaign and to, you know, it's corrupting the message and it does, it's not as genuine anymore because it appeared planned. 
Yes, you idiots. It was planned. That's this whole that's the point of this whole process is how well you can plan, organize and structure not only just yourself in debates, but throughout the campaign to prove that you can be the next president of the United States. So, no, it's not exploitative. If she's telling you she's raising money to be president of the United States, she's trying to be president of the United States. That's not exploitative. Like this whole process of this this black woman taking this moment to show that, yes, she was bust. We're going to put this on T-shirts. We're going to take this moment and we're going to use it as a rallying cry to support not only the, the, the fact that she had to be bust, that Biden didn't support that, and that we are about a, a environment and community of inclusion of people of all races. Yes, that's not exploitative. Yes, she wants to be president of the United States. And I have to say, if she was a male candidate, I don't think people would say this is exploitative. I think they would be considered savvy. I think they would be considered as, um, you know, charismatic, being able to use social media to their advantage. Um, and I, I, just, I, I just wonder if the criticism would be the same if it was a man doing this. Um, I'll leave you to decide that. I don't think taking that moment and immediately putting it out there on social media to taking that picture and immediately turning it into t-shirts that would help support the campaign to be president and a presidential debate in a moment that she had in her childhood that she prepared for. I don't think that's exploitative. I think that's what you do to be president of the United States to show how you're able to take a moment like that and show the country that why they need to not just rally around you, why the stances that you've had and the experiences that you had as a child throughout your entire life is why you are qualified and why you should hold a particular office. So you can either disagree or agree with her policies, but I think this argument is completely stupid. That is my recap of the debate. And I want to go back to something I said um, a couple of times throughout um, my, my takeaways for this debate. And I think this is probably the biggest takeaway. This was the Democratic Party. Whether you agree or disagree with some of their policies, it was heavy on policy. It was heavy on substance. You got to understand and know some of the things that they hold near and dear. Some of the things that whether you believe or not that they're going to do, that's what they're putting on the table. In contrast, in 2016, when we saw a large number of Republicans running for president, you didn't see this. You didn't see debate on policy. You didn't see uh, uh, substance. You didn't see them talking about real issues on how it was going to improve lives of health care, uh, immigration, um, foreign policy, or anything like that. What you saw is childish attacks. What you saw was my hands are bigger than yours. What you saw was name-calling insults, and frankly, what you saw was self-centered people looking to gain power. And while the Democratic Party is also looking to gain power, I think what you also saw was adults and children in comparison. And that is what the Republican Party has been reduced to. I think you guys should think about that as we go throughout this process and whether or not the Republican Party, as they are holding office, um, are they living up to that challenge? I think 
you'll find the answer is no. And the Democratic Party, again, whether you agree or disagree on policy, I think that party shows that they are the adults in the room. That's it for um, this episode and my recap of the two-night, 20-person, four-hour Democratic presidential debate for 2020. Um, Share with me your feedback, your thoughts, your agreements, your disagreements. Um, You can always email me your topics and and all of those things at realtalk@salazcorner.com. Coming up on a future episode, I am trying to get uh, Pennsylvania State Rep Jordan Harris on the podcast. Um, He just uh, finally was able to get a bill passed, the Clean Slate program in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, So I'd really like to talk to him about that. If you guys see him out there, let's make this happen, Jordan Harris. Uh, Let's sit down and talk about that, what that means for people within the state of uh, Pennsylvania, what that means for Philadelphia, and some other ideas on criminal justice reform that we can take to this community. So Last Corner is recorded out of Rec Philly, produced by producer extraordinaire Bree Wilson, and with music by Prod by Delgado. For all your questions, feedback, always email me at realtalk@salascorner.com. Check out my latest blog post at salascorner.com and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Salas Corner. Until next time, peace, y'all.